This is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. Hope you guys are doing really great. Uh, it has gotten cold here in LA. Finally, catching up to the rest of you guys out there. Summer's finally over. Clocks have changed. Um, and uh, it was a big week. We had a, you know, a midterm election. And we're still... Uh, waiting to see the results. So it's been uh, a very busy week of news. And uh, today we have my friend Masha. She is a Ukrainian-American living here in Los Angeles. And I know her from my my community, um, my, my aerial community. And uh, I had wanted to invite her onto the podcast for a really long time. Bean is in the back. She says hi. <laughs> uh, ever since the war between Russia and Ukraine started, I really wanted to have her on to get the perspective of a Ukrainian American who has colleagues, family, and friends currently living in the Ukraine. And uh, it is eye-opening for me, and I, uh, I really appreciate you, Masha, for having the bravery to step on and, and speak publicly. Um, all right, guys. I'm excited for you guys to get to know Masha. Let's get started. I call her Masha Bear. Her first name's Masha. But I, I call her Masha Bear because she's my student. She's my friend. But my daughter is obsessed with Masha and the Bear. I wanted to get her on here just to talk about her very unique perspective on the world right now. Masha, uh, you want to say hi and introduce yourself a little bit? Hi. Um, my name's Masha. I was born in Ukraine. But when I was two, I moved with my family to the States and actually mostly spoke Russian at home. And that was really common, especially people who lived in Ukraine in like big cities. And mostly people speak Ukrainian in Western Ukraine and in villages. And so it gets really confusing for people that, you know, growing up, also no one really knew about Ukraine. So everyone would be like, oh, where are you from? And, and be like, Ukraine. They're like, where's that? And I just kind of have to be like, okay, Russia. And then they'd be like, but what language do you speak at home? Well, Russian. Okay, so you're Russian, but you just happen to be living in Ukraine. I'm like, but my ancestors lived in Ukraine. <laughs> but in the end, it, these little semantics don't, really mattered too much and so growing up in the states there was this kind of post-soviet community of people from all the different republics that became their own states later on but most of the people who immigrated kind of just knew it as still this part of the soviet union and i feel like people when they immigrate they bring certain aspects of their previous place of living with them and it's kind of preserved in a little time capsule because you maybe haven't been back to your country in years or if ever and so you just have these memories of what it was like meanwhile people who stayed in that country keep changing and everything there just keeps changing so in some ways some people are like, okay, well, do you associate with like Ukrainian or Russian, Soviet, post-Soviet? I kind of like associate with all of them. 
and I'm not going to sort of deny any Russianness, which is like what a lot of people would, there's been a lot of trends of that almost like a lot of people are actually turning, trying to stop speaking the language. And it, in some ways it was imposed upon Ukraine by the Soviet Union, just for the sake of like a standardization, you know, if you have this big country and everyone's speaking a different language. How can you really work as a unit as a whole? So there's a lot of history kind of interwoven into my existence that I've had to be aware of, like since a very little kid and it's um, made life interesting. And now with the current events, it's like everything has kind of culminated, but all these things were already happening and brewing underneath the surface. It was like a a pimple waiting to pop (laughs) waiting to pop i love i use that analogy all the time Uh, yeah i've heard you i got that from you (laughs) like i'm gonna (laughs) you got that i'm gonna pop you like a pimple (laughs) (laughs) let's dive into that and i've i've been wanting to get masha on the podcast for this reason because she has a very like i've always wanted to talk to you ever since russia's war with ukraine has started I've always wanted to hear the perspective of someone who was born there, someone who has a lot of ties there. Um, and Masha is very much American in, in our community. And, um, I think Americans don't necessarily understand. I don't understand uh, a lot of the nuance that's happening. And I, I don't think the media and the news, the news outlets necessarily give us an honest read on what's going on when this all began i don't know what is this nine months ago something like that what were your first thoughts um did you have any family members that were very affected or or and or friends and um how is that for you i work with a bunch of people who are in ukraine i mean remotely and a lot of them were in a city that got attacked pretty heavily the first days or so. And the funny thing was they were like, you know, that morning, none of them showed up to the morning meeting. We're like looking at the news and we're like, oh, crap. (laughs) And then some of them get online later or something and they're like, oh, don't worry. Like, this is just going to like be like a weekend thing. We'll be back on like Monday. And, you know, of course, it was so strange how not seriously they were taking it, whereas we were looking from the outside and being like, oh, shit, this is real, you know, for like the months leading up to it. We were watching from satellite images as Russia kept stockpiling troops along the border and supplies and all this stuff. So we're like, this really looks like it's going to happen. But, you know, on their side, their president was like, okay, guys, don't panic. You know, don't take all your money out of the bank. Don't try to, like, exit the country. You know, and some people did, but not a lot of people because they didn't think it was going to be that bad. And, you know, I think that maybe there was, like, a little bit of 
propaganda on even the Ukrainian side where they're like, you know, we just don't want our people to panic because shit might about to get real, but we don't want to have this like mass, you know, like when COVID hit here and everyone was like buying up toilet paper for no reason. And I mean, from my perspective, when all this started, it was just like, I was Twitter doom scrolling. I was paying a lot of attention. And all I remember was people leaving. Yeah. That's what I, mean, I a remember lot of people seeing. people were leaving and did leave. And <clears throat> it felt like that was a big emphasis by Western media. They're like, oh, this is the biggest displacement okay. of people. But I think also just as like, Americans and Europeans and just the West in general, that's what we saw. So, because that was our perspective, you see all these people coming out of this crazy place um, with not as much perspective of what's going on inside. Because obviously, I mean, it's not like we're going to send reporters there. I mean... Right. Inside, in that moment. Exactly. And news sources from the inside um, are usually like twisted for their particular purpose or another, or if they're like independent news sources, um, those people are kind of like huge targets, especially by the Mm. Russians. But still, I mean, I usually try to keep up with like more independent news sources that kind of show more honest like people's representation but um yeah when it when it all started you know i'm friends on facebook with some family members who live in russia and anytime i would post something about you know children hiding in subways as a makeshift bomb shelter and like they would reply with like this is staged like the ukrainians like Mm. this is this is obviously a set like this is not happening um the ukrainians just made this video to make us look bad and that was just a common theme and you know as the war went on and ukrainians actually reclaimed certain towns and cities i mean i think you've heard of like some of the atrocities that they've found and and the russians just Mass graves, mass graves, and like... Yeah, and just people with, like, their hands tied behind their back, and, you know, like, tons of women being raped. It's it's almost like, it's like, is this a medieval war? Like, at first, you know, I also thought, I was like, this is a very outdated war, because, A, it just seems like it's, like, a land grab or something. Like, it's very imperialist, like... Yeah. Very 19th... 20th century like okay we're in the 21st century like we understand that like lines between countries are just more for like geographical and possibly economical distinctions but why why push the boundaries of borders but I mean really this this war technically has started as early as 2014 when Putin came and took over Crimea. Crimea. 
Yeah. My family, we actually have some relatives that like live or lived in the Donbass region, like around, you know, they talk about like Donetsk and all these areas where Russia's like really heavily been trying to take over. And that area, they haven't stopped fighting since 2014. Like there's been a little micro war happening there for years. And yeah, the unfortunate thing is like the family that I do have there are like pro Russia for some reason. In yeah. Ukraine. Um, they actually. So that's a it, thing. It is a thing, but I think that they're just kind of brainwashed by like the Russian media machine. And I think that there was and a lot of Ukrainians also talked about Russia putting plants in like those areas of Ukraine, just like soldier soldiers dressed in plain clothes that acted like civilians and through protests and were very actively vocally like we want to be part of Russia to possibly convince some of the people living there that they also want to be want to be part of Russia yeah. but okay so the people that that sentiment are they also getting are they also in regions where they're getting attacked yeah yeah, so is there a it makes it makes a no rational sense. situation. No, it makes there? no sense. And honestly, my dad had to like stop talking to those relatives because he was like, if you just feel like you're talking to a wall, you can't even like have a conversation. And so when they are getting attacked or if they experience a bombing that day, what is what do they say? Like is that is that Russia? Do they do they say that's Russia bombing us or or do they say that's Russia liberating us? <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Okay, I understand the mindset right. there. So, I w- I was going to say I was like Ukrainians are united ag- against Putin in this war, but not really. Is it kind of like America? In that way, like America is very divided right now. Well, and Ukraine has historically been pretty divided. Um, there's because it's, okay. like, it's such a big country. It's the size of Texas, and there's a bunch of different regions and a lot of different kind of subcultures, microcultures. I'd say like almost like a lot of like cities and villages and counties even have their own kind of vibe and like sense of humor (laughs) i mean you know kind of like how someone from texas is different than someone from oregon or oklahoma right you know so in that way there is a lot of diversity and I mean, I guess I can't be so surprised by that, but it does surprise me that if you're actually getting physically threatened, then, but then if they do feel like they're getting liberated. I mean, I don't really know, and maybe I should reach out to them to see. I feel like probably by now they've moved to Russia, which is what a lot of Ukrainians did 
that lived around the border where there was a lot of fighting and like if they have little kids they're like i don't want my kid to grow up with this so they'll move to russia and like there was and is that something you can do in the like uh, russia will happily take a ukrainian citizen um you know i'm not gonna like pretend like i'm an expert on this type of stuff because yeah yeah but i met some people like yeah early on in the war i went um down to the border with mexico and interviewed a few refugees and yeah there were some that had gone since 2014 to live in russia for a while but even then he said that like all of his kids were getting made fun of in school for being ukrainian and you know them kind of just saying like oh you're coming here and like taking our jobs or you know taking our resources and yeah it almost came to he said that like his kids like didn't even want to be in school and so then when the big war happened they were like okay we got to get out of here leave our cows (laughs) and like actual yeah, cows. yeah, yeah. They had like actual cows and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you know, they they kind of like live in some ways that they have like that their, you know, that their ancestors had still lived, which is you know kind of the perks of like being in a, a place for many generations. There's like a lot of like, seeped traditions. He said that his family had a really hard time getting out of there because they had been living in Russia for the last few years, you know, and there was like this extra proof that you had to do. Anyway, Ukraine is pretty divided and there's some parts that are really close to Poland and there's parts and there's people in Ukraine that have like been wanting to join the EU for the longest time. Cause they're like, we're pretty much part of, of, of Europe. Like, their culture and people is not that different from Poland. Poland's part of the EU. Anyway, there's tons of Eastern European countries that are part of the EU and that Ukraine feels that they're just as European as them. And of course, Russia could not have that. They're like, well, if you're going to join the EU, you're going to join NATO. You're sharing a border with us and everyone hates us. So... No, you guys are like kind of um, destined to just be Russia's little brother or whatever in this weird political landscape. And, you know, I think that that's also maybe part of Putin's impetus for the war. Like he sees Ukraine as like slowly kind of slipping away into this like more European way of life. Like if you look at statistics, there's like um, most Ukrainians have an international passport and they're able to travel and most have traveled and visited some other country outside of their own in their lifetimes. Whereas in Russia, it's like a very small percentage I saw in the news that there was going to be a draft in Russia. And that's when I asked you your thoughts on that and what's going on. 
And you had said, yeah, people are leaving. People are leaving Russia. Men, young men are leaving Russia. Can you tell me, uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, I heard of some smaller town that they just kind of like put a checkpoint in the only road going in and out of it. And every car they check that's leaving the town and they see if there's a man in the car and they turn it around. If there's a woman driving, they like search the entire car to make sure she's not hiding a man. I mean, a lot of people don't want to fight this war. You know, there's been like crazy news stories. I'm sure you've heard of a few times, like people getting drafted and then they go into the recruitment office and they like shoot the recruitment officer. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. So there have been wow. like actually a few recruitment office shootings. And then wow. and right before he does it, he's like, okay, um, well, all of us who got recruited today get to go home. <laughs> but then I'm like, I mean, they're going to just put him in jail. <clears throat> also, what I've heard is now they've been recruiting criminals. So people who already had been in jail for, you know, murder, theft, whatever, like, you know, real criminal criminals being now sentenced to go fight war in Ukraine. Which is crazy to me because it's like, wow. How- how can you trust someone that you've just put in jail to fight for your country? Yeah, what's the incentive there? I mean, the incentive is you could try to <laughs> escape because you're yeah. out There's in the that, wild. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or you yeah. can um, give yourself in. So, and Ukraine has been really clear about how Russian soldiers can give themselves in to Ukraine yet Russian propaganda says if you turn yourself into the Ukrainians it's like no I don't want to fight this war I give up they're going to chop off your balls wait like for real that's, that's what, what they say, say. yeah like, I mean and like, this is also just this is from things I heard and talked to from other people who are there so it's like it is crazy some of these stories kind of reach some sort of weird mythic proportions right But this is also kind of the way that Russian propaganda works. It's like this weird, is like cusping on conspiracy, kind of turns the world into this like magical realism place that doesn't actually exist. But they make it exist in your mind. And then you start believing everything that they feed you. Like, the West is evil, and, you know, we're the best country in the world. I mean, people who live in, like, a deep village in Russia or Siberia, they have blockers on certain websites that they can visit. So only if you're kind of more tech-savvy and you can use a VPN and even understand that, you know, a lot of major information is being blocked then you can get around it. But for most people who grow up in like small village, middle of nowhere, all they have access to is Russian TV and this like blocked version of the internet. They don't have access to facts and they're just going to believe whatever they're spoon fed. It's like one of those horror movies, you know? (laughs) And if there's no one there in your village to be like, hey, you could just use a VPN and then you can go on Google. Yeah, you can go and look up the New York Times. You can like, 
Um, and in the major cities of Moscow and St. Petersburg, there's like so many protests and a lot of a lot of younger people have been protesting, protesting the war, protesting the draft, and then they get just thrown in jail. Like if you get thrown in jail, are those people still in jail? They're just in jail forever with no court date type of thing? They just have these like kind of arbitrary sentences. Um, like I was looking at an article of this one activist that got thrown in jail for five years. He was just like a performance art activist. Like he would like dress up as Jesus and go to these like recruitment rallies. I'm really fascinated by a lot of these like subcultural linings. Like people's lives are being messed up in these really weird ways because of this war. And like a lot of people like don't want to have anything to do with it. They just want to live their lives. You know, they just want to do what they love, take care of their family. They're kind of just caught in between a war that they didn't even choose to have. You're talking about Russians or Ukrainians? You know, I feel like the general populace of both countries thinks it's really stupid. Are people going back now that that it's kind of like a long-term war and they're not trying to be a refugee somewhere? Some are, and it, it's, it really comes down to a personal choice, you know. Um, like someone I was talking to who's in Kharkov, which is, Har- uh, Americans pronounce it Kharkiv, that was like one of the cities to get pretty devastated in the beginning, that it's like feeling relatively safe there now, and they're kind of getting back to their lives, even though I'm sure it's like living in a post-war zone. I think some are trying to stay wherever they're at more long-term. Like when my family left, it was kind of a decision my parents had to make and then no turning back. I don't know if Americans even can relate to that because we are living where everybody wants to be, ironically, because it's also... (laughs) Not not necessarily because, you know, America gave out a bunch of visas to Ukrainians, like... I forget, like a couple hundred thousand or something. It was insane because of the war. And none of them, they haven't all been taken. Like maybe like 20% of them have. Well, there's like a lot of people from other countries elsewhere that have, you know, felt a similar sort of war-torn displacement, but have not gotten the opportunity to get a visa to go to the U.S. and have been waiting for years and now they see that U.S. has given Ukrainians, you know, whatever, 100,000 visas that haven't even been used up. They're kind of pissed because... And so in that way, it seems kind of like racist that they're like, well, you're only doing this because they're white or something. Mm. I think that it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's probably like still this war is a result of the culmination of the Cold War, you know, which was a result of post-World War II. And, you know, during the Cold War, U.S. and Russia were always at, at each other's throats. So I almost feel like this is a kind of, like, way to get back at, at Russia and, 
in some way or another. But I also don't know like what goes through the brains of like U.S. either politicians or foreign policy. Who are yeah, in of the visa situations. As an American, it's interesting because there is still a sentiment, especially from our southern neighbors, that they want to be in America. But then you go out into Europe and to other parts of the world, Asia as well, and that's not necessarily the sentiment. Like, I saw one time, and it was when there was a bunch of school shootings right in a row. I think it was around the time of Uvalde. You know, there was bulletins for people traveling to the U.S. And basically it was like big star, you know, (laughs) highlighted. America is not safe. (laughs) They're shooting their children. You can get shot at the mall, which you can. But as an American, I don't think to myself, I can't go to the grocery store. It doesn't feel like a war zone. I'm still going to Trader Joe's with my child. You know, like it doesn't feel that way. But interesting you know, when I have traveled outside the country, which was way before the pandemic, before me having a kid, um, that perspective is very different um, in some ways. And then in other ways, depending on what country you're in, I would remember just turning on the TV in the hotel and every news organization was talking about the politics in America. Like the world cares about American politics more than America cares about the politics in other places. Because it it affects, yeah. it, it can sometimes affect the entire world. It's so hard for us to, like, even a very curious person like me, there's only, you know, like, you've surprised me with some of the stuff that you've said today that I just never would have heard, even if I'm seeking out the information. I would say the majority opinion in America has been to support Ukraine. This is like a war for democracy, and Ukrainians are trying to defend their own democracy and not get taken over by this regime of uh, authoritarian, yes, authoritarian regime, regime yeah. of um, yeah. dictator. Like they have free elections. They have elected their officials. They have kicked out. You know, they used to have a more like oligarch type of president that was more of like a puppet-ish of Russia and they kicked him out. He ran away. (laughs) The outcome of this war is probably going to directly affect everyone else in the world, whether they like it or not, because it has been the result of a culmination of this clash of ideologies, identities, but also countries. And I think that in order to get a true perspective, really, yeah, you have to seek out people who are from there and ask them about it. But maybe they don't want to talk about it or what they've been through is so extremely hard that... They don't want to talk about it. So I had asked Masha and basically she had taken a while to decide if she even wanted to come on and be a voice because there is some risk involved. Well, there was, you know, like people who were protesting were getting years in jail. I had heard about a law that Putin had put out that anyone who helps Ukraine, 
you know, was a post Soviet citizen, whatever. If when they get to Russia, they would also be thrown in jail for like two to five years. And, you know, my dad had been helping with Ukraine and sending medical supplies over there since Crimea happened, organizing and like helping a bunch of other people who kind of took over this system of buying wholesale from different medical supply companies and just sending it directly to medics and soldiers out on the battlefield. And, you know, in this way, it's like, that was almost like the best possible action that we can do as civilians to help because they, they had such a deficit of like basic supplies. Yeah. I became like more paranoid about posting anything about that on the internet after seeing that. But then I was like, but do I really want to be in Russia right now (laughs) or in the next foreseeable future? I think that Russia has the potential to radically change again. Like it's ripe for possibly having another revolution. And, but in the beginning of every revolution, there's the idealists who want this revolution to happen because they see how messed up the current situation is. And then there comes a second wave and even a third possibly wave of like power grabbers and people who see the revolution as this like, overturning of of power and try to grab as much of it as they can. I hope that Russia could have a more beautiful, peaceful existence. And, you know, it, the majority of the population does not have to be, like, poor and destitute, you know. Because right now they're, you know, they have, like, a handful of billionaires who are kind of, like, hoarding the wealth of the entire country. It's, like, really no different than imperialist Russia and like what were the peasants fighting to overthrow here and you know communism was more for like equality for everyone but it it still ended up being like a few people taking advantage well and there's also sanctions that America has placed and that is hurting them the Russian they're, normal, they're the acting people, like they right? don't care they're like we don't need your McDonald's and your Starbucks like we we can we can be our own island which is like then i'm like okay now they're turning themselves into like a giant north korea you know i still i have friends that live there and of course they're not gonna even write on like you know some messenger app or whatever oh russia sucks (laughs) you know because even then they're paranoid about what can get tracked and like get in trouble for that kind of stuff but i've talked to someone who lives in russia currently and you know left for an event and came back and he is very much against the war and he said most people who were against the war have left or tried to leave by now if you guys don't know like masha the name masha in your region is like the name Sarah here, right? Yeah, there's definitely a lot. Yeah, super, super, super common. So I'm I'm not using your last name for a reason. 
I just like needed some time to get, get over and these, some of these paranoic thoughts, because also in the end, that's what this propaganda and media tactic is trying to do. It's trying to keep people silent. It's trying to keep people from doing things that they think is right. I mean, that is, that is like authoritarian government 101, right? Yeah, doing stuff like this is kind of an ultimate form of rebellion. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm so proud of you for wanting to use your voice because using your voice just because is one thing. Using your voice under duress is, is a completely different thing. This is how we understand what's really going on. The media is not going to, the media is always skewed no matter which, which media source you, you uh, are, are reading or looking at. I guess another interesting aspect I wanted to touch on because, you know, I talked to my mom a lot about this. You know, she watches a lot of both Russian and Ukrainian TV to try and like get at both sides, understand what's really going on. When the war first started, the US and the West could have come in with their, you know, big guns, missile firing, they could have closed the skies and all this stuff and kind of stopped the war in its tracks. But they were afraid of World War Two or World War Three. They didn't want to get attacked by Russia. And right now, Russia is getting most of its missiles and bombs from Iran. The theory is they want this war to drag on because they've been so sloppy with their bombs. Like they, they've been like hitting stuff that where sometimes something there, there's nothing there. Like in Odessa, they hit like a public bathroom. Are you talking about Russia? Yeah. So there's this idea that they just want them to just like use up all the bombs and missiles so that. They can't attack anyone else. And destroy Ukraine in the process? Yeah. So it's almost like... So, yeah, the U.S. has been supporting Ukraine, but, like, really a pretty small amount in comparison. You know, Biden's trying to get through this bill of, like, you know, spending however many billions of dollars to help Ukraine militarily. But really, that's like maybe like we spent that much money on one day when we were like doing the war in Iraq. Oh, uh, okay. In comparison. You know, by comparison. And they're only giving the Ukrainians certain um, missiles that can kind of like only like defense, defensive weapons. So like missiles that can kind of block other missiles from coming at them but also from where they can launch them to where they land, you know, they only have like a hundred or so miles where Russia has missiles that can fly for like many, 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 many miles. Sound like an expert and get misquoted and add to more of the misinformation, but these are just like other perspectives and things to think about in the grand scheme of the war. Like why, why is the U.S. being like, hey, Ukraine, we're on your team, we're on your team, but we're like not going to fully help you. We're just going to like keep you going at like the bare minimum, like to keep you alive and not get completely destroyed. Um, and the Ukrainians have just kind of been super inventive on making solutions on their own. Like one of the people that I'm working with, because Russians started to bomb um, 
like electricity stations and water supplies like and winter's coming so people are like without electricity without heat without water in the winter and in ukraine it does get pretty cold one of the people are working with has like this elaborate set of like multiple car batteries hooked together so that like he can still have electricity when the electricity goes out but still they've been really heroic and amazing at rebuilding things as they get destroyed i mean is life still going on is it like are people still going to are kids going to school are people going to work like is there offices to go to i guess so i mean the people that i work with obviously they left their office they've just been working from their laptops and i don't know about school that's a good question but you know it also just depends on the region and the locality right it's it's a it's a big country it seems like in Kharkov, it's pretty safe now. And that like the, the heat from that area has kind of toned down. And, you know, I've been wanting to visit. I actually like had this like pang of like, I felt like I wanted to visit so bad earlier this year. I wonder what is going to be the moment where we're like, okay, it's actually safe. Like we can go, you know, what is going to be that moment? I don't know. What would be that moment for you? There's no way for me to even relate to this. Like, I don't even, I mean, us Americans, we're just so safe over here because we've got these two huge bodies of water on both sides and we've got quote unquote friendly neighbors, you know, north and south. Like, I don't even, like, I'm so sheltered here. I feel like I'm so sheltered. Um, And I, I admit to it, you know, it's like, I can't even relate to that question. Like, I don't even know what to say because I've never been in that. I've never had that perspective. I am a first generation. So my parents, uh, you know, did come from the Philippines, although we're Chinese. Um, Yeah, I don't even know, Masha. No idea. Uh, I think there's very few Americans who have been here for generations that really understand the, the gravity of that. And so when we do hear about like people like, trekking all the way from Venezuela to cross our border and we in as a country have you know <laughs> no empathy for that is is being there something you would want to just visit or would you want to live there again in the future um maybe I also just kind of want to go there and get a better sense of you know what's happening and also I imagine like the whole rebuilding of the country process is going to take some time and we'll probably need help. Yeah. And so understanding better, like what people need and how I can help because I have like, you know, all these connections here and know all these people that are like, Hey, I want to help. And, you know, I can go over there and find out like, well, what's the best possible way to help? Because, you know, donating to like nonprofits and all this stuff is like, all that money just kind of gets lost a lot of it gets lost along the way or, um, oh, my computer's running low on battery. Um, so I, I am a big proponent fan. would like to do more of like just connecting people so that they can just like help each other and like feel deep joy that you feel when you help each other and like make the world a better place. 
Thank you so much to Masha for jumping on the podcast. Really appreciate you. And I love getting this different perspective. Uh, listeners, in the show notes, opt in for a newsletter. We send it out about twice a month. You get more info, links, uh, photos, etc. of our guests. And if you want to hear the sound of my voice even more during your day, uh, check out the Expecting Aerialist podcast, also on the Digitent family of podcasts. Thank you to Asa Watkins, sound engineer. And if you would honor us with a five-star rating and a review, where you get your podcasts, it really, really makes a difference. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. Over and out. We'll see you guys next time. This is Winner Grass. Oh,